Can you hear me? Yes, now I can hear you. Sorry, my phone and my headphones occasionally connect to each other. And so I just like, they, they talk to each other without my permission. Welcome back to GC8, Geek Channel 8. I'm Eric. I'm Johanna. This week, what are we doing? We're talking about land sharks. There goes the shark meter. <laughs> and the reason the shark meter is going off, not for land sharks yet, but because I watched Jackass Shark Week. What? So, <laughs> so in order to watch the Super Bowl, I subscribed to Hulu. And now that I have it, I figured, let's see what else is on here. And I oh, saw boy. Jackass Shark Week. And of course I couldn't resist. I'm not a jackass fan, not my taste. I remember it being a thing like on MTV in the nineties or something. So I watched it one time, like a normal sane human. I was like, that's what jackass is. Now I never need to see another one. Cause I know exactly what they're all going to be like, but they lured me back in with shark week. Apparently they're on the discovery channel. What? <laughs> oh, no. they, they decided to do a shark week thing and it is exactly what you expect it involves them like covering themselves in chum and diving in shark waters and you know doing lots of stupid stuff around sharks and let's just say <laughs> what you expect to happen on jackass happens it gets a full shark meter because it has plenty of sharks it delivers the goods when it comes to sharks I played a new board game recently, which I want to recommend. Pretty mainstream creative gaming game, but I played the Disney Villains board game. And in this game, each player gets assigned their own Disney villain. And that villain has two decks of cards. One deck has good things that you need and the other deck you try not to draw from because the heroes are in that deck and they're going to show up and foil your evil plans. But I got to play as Professor Radigan from The Great Mouse Detective. And I had one objective for the first half of the game, which was to end my turn with the robot queen in Buckingham Palace. But one of my opponents managed to force me to draw Basil out of my deck. Basil comes in and destroys the robot queen. And so then at that point, my new character objective is kill Basil. So I, I, got, I got to really enjoy the flavor of this. It's an extremely thoughtfully designed game. And they have lots of villains from some of these smaller films that you don't see represented in Disney games. It's not all, you know, Snow White and Beauty and the Beast. There are a couple other beloved classics mixed in there. But I really admire how much the flavor of each particular movie seemed to come through in the villains you were playing. And also it's just fun to play the villain character. It was exactly what I wanted it to be. There are a couple expansions. So a game recommendation for movie lovers out there. Well, speaking of games, I have a correcting the record having to do with games. In a previous episode, we were talking about the game Unstable Unicorns. And I had mentioned that it sounded like Exploding Kittens, and you said it's the same company. They both started on Kickstarter, but Unstable Unicorns is published by Unstable Games, which is mm. Raimi Batty. And Exploding Kittens is self-published by The Oatmeal, 
yes. aka Matthew Inman. So they are not related by company or anything like that. Although there is a similarity in look and feel, maybe. That out of the way, let's talk about this film. Since this film came out in January of 1990, I mostly looked at 1989, which we already recently talked about because we talked about the Beetlejuice cartoon in 1989, but I'll tell you a little more about 1989. January 28th of 1989, Fran Drescher, Elliot Gould, Terry Hatcher, Michael McKeon, Martin Short, and Jennifer Jason Leigh all co-starred in the film The Big Picture about a young film student played by Kevin Bacon, who is discovered by Hollywood only to find the, he instantly has to start compromising on everything he believes in. February 14th, Valentine's Day, 1989, in Las Vegas, Nevada. James Moreland and Courtney Love of the proto-grunge bands Leaving Trains and Hole, respectively, get married. Moreland produced Hole's first single soon afterward. March 29th, at the 61st Academy Awards, the film Rain Man about Charlie, played by Tom Cruise, and his autistic brother Ray, played by Dustin Hoffman. It's an epic road film from Cincinnati, Ohio to Las Vegas, Nevada. It wins four awards, including Best Picture. May 14th, 1989, long-running American sitcom Family Ties concludes. Central to the theme of the show was the cultural shift in the U.S. from the liberal 1960s and 1970s to the conservative 80s. And this was dramatized through the relationship between young Republican Alex, played by Michael J. Fox, and his hippie parents, Elise and Stephen, played by Meredith Baxter Burney and Michael Gross. May 15th, 1989, KLAS-TV in Las Vegas aired a live interview with an anonymous man, later revealed to be Bob Lazar, who claimed he worked for the government studying alien technology near Groom Lake, Nevada, thus introducing the public to Area 51. June 15th, James Moreland and Courtney Love's marriage is annulled. She, <laughs> quote, she definitely has an evil side. She once tried to burn my bed while I was sleeping. A fire started and I woke up in shock, unquote. He was also quoted as saying, Quote, most people would want to kill themselves just waking up to her, unquote. <laughs> okay. September 14th, 1989, the U.S. military detonates Disco Elm, last nuke of Operation Cornerstone, a year-long series of nearly monthly underground nuclear tests in the Nevada desert. October 17th, 1989, the Loma Prieta earthquake, the third worst in California recorded history with 63 recorded deaths happens. It's felt as far away as Western Nevada. And in January 19th, 1990, Tremors was released. The idea for Tremors came to writer Wilson and his co-writer Maddox while they were both working as filmmakers for the Navy. And they were out on a hike and were climbing around on boulders and had the what if the ground were lava thought <laughs> while they were jumping around and thought like okay let's you know write a story about being stuck up on these boulders and we can't touch the ground why wouldn't that be they came up with the idea of land sharks 
uh, a phrase which was stolen by SNL and they ultimately couldn't use that as the title, but originally this was a land shark movie. <laughs> they shared this idea with Ron Underwood, who was working for National Geographic at the time, and Underwood supposedly is the one who came up with the more plausible concept for the creature <laughs> underneath the ground that's based on real animals, supposedly. The Town of Perfection, Nevada was built as a set and filmed in Lone Pine, California, which you've seen in other movies like Iron Man, Star Trek V, Man of Steel. Lone Pine, California is a popular desert location. Funnily enough, the crew remarked that the people living in the local town where they were staying were eerily similar to the actual people in, represented in Perfection, Nevada. And if you want to take a look, there's actually a replica of Chang's Market at the Museum of Western Film History. So you can go out to Eastern California and check this out. The creatures were made by Amalgamated Dynamics. This was their second project, but they went on to do work on Starship Troopers, the films in the Alien franchise from Alien 3 onward, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man, and many more nerd classics. So we have Amalgamated Dynamics to thank for those beautiful foam <laughs> creatures, graboids. <laughs> Apparently they have some sort of more scientific name, but not based on the film. You mentioned Kevin Bacon being disappointed that he had to compromise after Footloose. Kevin Bacon considers Trevor's to be sort of the rock bottom of his career. And he recalls just like breaking down on the sidewalk and crying to his wife, like, is this what it's come to? But let me just note that on the way down to rock bottom here, just two years before Trevor's, Kevin no, Bacon- No, 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 stop, stop. You're not gonna <laughs> do six degrees of Kevin Bacon or all loads read to Gary Oldman. Like, uh, are those two things coming together? Everyone! Not only do they come together in this classic criminal law, which like <laughs> is one of, you know, if you ever wanted to see a film where you're just watching Gary Oldman sweat and have homoerotic dreams about Kevin Bacon, Criminal Law is the film for you. That film came out two years before Tremors and I think I think Criminal Law is a much worse film. So, you know, clearly Kevin Bacon has a soft spot for Scary Gary. Wait a minute. You are saying it's a worse film, a much worse film, and it has Gary Oldman in it? I know, but... Um, that, it has that... to be really bad. <laughs> All right. So I watched Tremors with my son, and Finn gave this film only a six and a half out of ten. I rate the film higher, but I think it's because I I see it as a, oh, this is so bad, it's good. Like, I, I understand the comedy of the film, and I understand the comedic lens through which you even read the comedy of the film. And Finn, you know, he was like, this is bad. And I'm, I'm like, I know, isn't it great? <laughs> but Criminal Law, I don't know if you get to the, it's so bad, it's good place. It's, it's just kind of, you know, for for people like me who, well, who need to I see am, Gary Oldman and Kevin Bacon as many times as possible together. I'm a little bit surprised. I expected a higher rating, but we're going to start doing Ask a 12-Year-Old Boy because he rated <laughs> Speed like a 9 or something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or was it a 9 or a 10 out of 10? I don't, I'm not sure I would do that. I, I would probably flip those ratings. But Well, what's even more remarkable is that after Tremors, 
there were five direct-to-video sequels and a prequel and a TV show and then a 2018 remake. I don't understand how. Like, the I really like the film, but I don't uh, tell me tell me why. Why were Be there so many sequels? Because it cost next to nothing to make, and it made a lot of money. That's what. So. That's always the reason. Follow the money. But while we're doing Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, I have a connection to Kevin Bacon. My father is an urban planner. And he comes from this school of thought about the design of cities uh, that was started in Philadelphia by Louis Kahn and a guy named Edmund Bacon. And in fact, Ed Bacon was writing a book with my father. Oh, this is decades ago now. I don't know if they ever finished it or if the book got released or not. I'm not sure, but it was about planning cities. But anyway, he and my dad were talking and, you know, my son's interested in film. Oh, my son's in film too, you know, and his son, it turns out, is this guy, Kevin Bacon. So there's me to my father, my father to Ed Bacon, Ed Bacon, father to Kevin Bacon. I met Kevin Bacon one time. He came to Dartmouth and accepted a film award. And I got to talk to him after the show, just before he went to play Pong at AD, uh, reliving some of his Animal House moments. But I was talking to Kevin Bacon for just like a couple of minutes, uh, you know, fangirling at him. And he just stopped me and he's like, are you from the Philadelphia area? And still one of the highlights of my life is Kevin Bacon listening to me talk long enough to recognize my Philadelphia area accent which actually is not very strong as far as I know. So also the man's got very good ears. There we go. Our degrees to Kevin Bacon. Uh, although on this show, we're trying to supplant six degrees of Kevin Bacon with all roads lead to Gary Oldman. You may link them through criminal law. When I think of Kevin Bacon and Gary Oldman, I always think of JFK well, because yeah. excellent roles for both of them. Also, strangely homoerotic, <laughs> like, uh, wasn't wasn't Kevin Bacon part of like the gay New Orleans scene? Yeah. And then, of course, Oldman played Lee Harvey Oswald. OK. Well, and they were in yet another film together called Murder in the First. Not as good as either of the other two. That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> OK, let's get into the film itself. I, was this your first time watching it? Yes. Okay, so for me, this was one of those films where, that I did not see in the theater. And much like Basic Instinct, when we were talking about that, it came out around that time in the late 80s, early 90s, when video stores were flourishing. I know that it did really well on home video. Both of these films did. And I contributed to both of those because it's one of those where you'd go to the video store on a Friday night and everybody in town went to the video store. So all the videos were rented by like 8 p.m. or something. And one of the old fallbacks was always Tremors. Like if there's nothing else available, we're going to rent Tremors and watch Tremors. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is what we did in the days before movies on demand and you couldn't get to or afford to go to a first run show. You know, we would like hit the video store and watch the same videos over and over again. And Tremors was definitely one that I've probably seen several times, but I hadn't watched it in years. And I'm curious, not only does it hold up all these decades later? 
and what you thought on your first viewing of it. The first thing that jumped out at me was how much more squarely in the Western genre the film fit than I thought it did. From looking at the posters and everything I'd heard about it, I was expecting it to be just kind of a, a cheesy sci-fi film, like be a B movie. But I think one of the things that keeps the film feeling classic is that the primary genre it's sitting in is a classic timeless genre. The two loner cowboy types who are trying to make it out of the dirt town and make it into a better town and kind of the sense of isolation and man versus nature, like all of those themes fit so well with the Western atmosphere that it kind of has a timelessness about it. And that that really surprised me because I was expecting it to feel dated and silly. <laughs> Which, of course, you know, there are elements of that as well. Also, I guess I didn't realize it was a comedy. I thought it was a comedy by virtue of being a bad movie, but it actually, you know, was clearly intentionally done as a comedy. I mean, there's this great moment, the one F-bomb that they get in the film when Kevin Bacon, after first braining the giant worm, like killing the first one, yelling, fuck you, was just like, there were enough moments like that, that felt just very human, just, you know, people haven't changed that much since, since the 90s. So uh, those were, those were my initial impressions. And that, and that it's like Jaws in the desert. So I, you know, I, I gave you Finn's, I gave you Finn's numerical review. He gave it a six and a half out of 10, but we were halfway through the film and Finn turns to me and he says, it's like Jaws in the desert. And I'm, I was like, yes, <laughs> that is exactly what they were going for. <laughs> this takes place in a fictional town called Perfection in Nevada. And I think what I noticed first about it is that there's a lot of emphasis on planning, plan ahead. In one of the first lines, Val and... Um, Is it Earl? Earl, yeah, Earl. Yeah. He admonishes him that he has no, he doesn't plan ahead, that Val doesn't plan ahead. He's like, I'm already thinking about Wednesday and it's only Monday. <laughs> 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 Which really summarizes their characters, I think. <laughs> also, interesting side note, the producers of this had originally planned to try to get Charles Bronson for the character of Earl, which I think would have been very interesting given that the very movie before this, the big picture, which we mentioned earlier, do you know this story? No, I, I'm going to confess something really silly. What's that? Um, you said Charles Bronson, you said Charles Bronson, but my but my mind went to... <laughs> okay. My we'll be mind back went after... to Richard Branson. <laughs> okay, I'll come back. I... All right. Okay, Richard Branson. No, <laughs> I'm not even sure why that's funny, but okay, I'll take your word for it. I don't know. I don't know why it was funny either, but just like I, I had a... <laughs> <laughs> of like a virgin Atlantic flight just like landing in the desert. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I'm, 
I'm back. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, they had originally wanted Charles Bronson to play Earl. And interestingly enough, the previous movie to this that we mentioned earlier, the big picture, was shot next door to Charles Bronson's place. And they accidentally killed his cat. Like that, oh, no. that film crew accidentally killed his cat. You know, Kevin Bacon and tells that story apparently on the uh, on the DVD. And uh, I think there's even a book about it called I Killed Charles Bronson's Cat. Well, anyway, it would have been really interesting to see him show up in the very next film with uh, Kevin Bacon after Kevin Bacon was part of the whole production that killed his cat. The second thing I noticed about this film was, yeah, the country western tropes. Like, Reba McIntyre is actually in this. There is a lot of cowboyness to it. In fact, in one point in time, they actually try to do things on horseback. I thought it was neat, and I thought all the characters were very believable. Now, this is long before the days today where everybody's used to, like, preppers and survivalists and stuff like that. It was an unusual thing back then, but having the hippie dad from Family Ties, you know, <laughs> as, like, a gun to... And Reba McIntyre as, like, gun-toting, you know... Survivalists. Survivalists uh, in the Nevada desert. That was pretty cool. Although I will say that no self-respecting prepper would have windows in their bunker. I just got to yes. say that. This is our sandworms for this film. <laughs> They end up getting attacked by one of these things in their, in their gun room. <laughs> and like, just keep unloading bullet after bullet. And that scene, I remember at the time, now, this was a uh, pre-Tarantino world where there wasn't like a gazillion gunshots. A movie would have like, bang, bang, you know, and then maybe bang, bang, you know, and whatever. You did not get like shot after shot after shot after shot like that. I remember that scene, watching that the first time. We were all just like, like the amount of ammunition expended. And then he ends with the line, broke into the wrong damn rec room, didn't you, bastard? <laughs> I just remember like the sh shot where, you know, it pans to like the whole wall of guns. And it was, you know, such a gratifying moment. They really succeed in the film at continually upping the ante. The size of the thing that the creature is going after and what the protagonists have at their disposal. It does keep escalating and evolving and that keeps it fun. Modern day people treat preppers like a joke. It's not like it was during the Cold War when everyone had a bomb shelter, but like the, these people prepared for that very moment, you know? <laughs> like to get to see a character fulfill their destiny like that is so rewarding. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> On the other hand, there are a fair number of really annoying characters like Marvin. I would shoot that kid. <laughs> that oh, that kid's going to get us killed. You know? Yeah. In great contrast with Mindy, the girl on the pogo stick, who's played by Jurassic Park girl, Ariana yes. Richards. And I, you know, I couldn't believe like, wait, how did you end up in this film and Jurassic Park? Clearly this was her audition. <laughs> she was great, even though the same, like, what are you doing out there? <laughs> well, she had a Walkman or something, so she couldn't hear them yelling at her. She wasn't stupid. Marvin was just stupid. You know? In every horror movie, there's the guy that comes and tries to scare everybody, and then he's the first person that's killed. I kept waiting for him to be killed. I have a couple curious phrases written down. Things like, here's some Swiss cheese and some bullets. The screenwriting in this film is incredible. 
and I actually I was I was really impressed by how gross and scary the deaths were. I think I expected this to be like almost comically underwhelming, but it wasn't. They find some well, someone's brains and hair inside the helmet, and I, I was like really well done but like (laughs) well it was marketed with the monster on the poster and it was called tremors and all that but apparently originally they wanted it to be a surprise originally they wanted people to think this was a slasher film and that's why it's so gory in the beginning and it was not until after the jackhammering in the road that the audience learns about the graboids the idea was to like throw that twist on people that it's actually not a serial killer doing this. It's like something else, but things being what they are eventually got marketed differently and things changed and stuff like that. So that I think helps explain a little bit about why, especially toward the beginning, it's really gory. Yeah. That was their original intention, which I have to admit is a really cool idea. If I was going into a slasher film and thought it was a slasher film and then like, I know I've talked about audience expectations, you know, on an earlier podcast and how that's always a dangerous road to travel. But I think I would have loved that. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I can't wait to find, wait a minute, what? Underground? What? What's going on here? You know. <laughs> Nevertheless, it was still a surprisingly cool little B movie. Kevin Bacon later said that it was the most fun he's had making a movie in his entire career. So it's strange that he broke down and thought, is this what my career has become? And honestly, it seems to me like even though he was still on the way up in his career at this point, he was in a lot of things and he still had star billing and a ton of stuff like Footloose yeah. and stuff like that before this, you know, long before this, he was already a marquee star, you know, so I don't really see where... Well, I think that was his feeling. It's like Footloose was such a great, like, you know, I think he expected to take off and have, you know, serious gigs after that. And then to have a character where the first time you encounter them, they're peeing off the side of a cliff or something. You know, it's just, you know, this is a little less intellectually rigorous than some of his other roles, I think. Although I, he, I feel like he's perfectly cast. He did a, He did a great job as this character. Well, he was a bit of a pretty boy, and I think that they thought, and he probably thought, he was being groomed to be like a Hollywood leading man. And that's not who he is, and that's not even what he's good at. He is great as the supporting actor, which is, again, why we have the Kevin Bacon game, because he's been a supporting actor in so many things. He plays that role really good, you know? Mm -hmm. This is one of his chances to be the leading man kind of in a funny way but it's just done as a like a parody of a leading man he's not the action star that normally would be in a man versus alien kind of movie like this instead he's just some dumb hick who is doing the best he can and sort of alternating between stupidity and bravery <laughs> but what i like about this film is that it's not a bad movie in that it was really an awful bad movie or so bad it's good kind of movie even but it was not a film that took itself very seriously either it just kind of was what it was you either like this kind of thing or you don't kind of movie and i could appreciate that even among horror fans there are people who are like oh that's not real horror you know that's comedy that's whatever 
it appeals to people who can appreciate a certain kind of film that's not truly the ideal film in any one genre. If you were picked a genre and tried to say, what is, what's a great example of this? Tremors would make none of those lists. Not Western, not horror, probably not even monster movie, not comedy, but it would kind of fit all of those, you know? Yeah, and I would say that if you were in your video store and you were like, I want to watch a Western and you chose Tremors, you would be disappointed. You would be like, this is not what I thought I was getting. And same with sci-fi horror or comedy that it's, you know, kind of- Yeah, it's not going to scare you. It's not going to scare you the way that Aliens does. And it's not going to- be a slapstick, funny kind of like Jim Carrey movie or something like that. And it's not going to be a serious Western either. It's none of those things, but it's got elements of all of them. Some of it is that there are lines that are inserted into this that are clearly laugh lines. Like there's a great one towards the end after they kill one of the creatures and Kevin Bacon says, we can make some real money on this thing. We could get into People magazine. You know, just like, like there are a number of lines like that, that are just designed as laugh lines. And it's one of the reasons why it maybe has this reputation of being this kind of B movie, because the attempts at horror and comedy are both so blatant throughout the film. I would actually argue that the genre that it does the best at following in an unself-conscious like genuine way is the western piece the friendship between the two guys feels pretty genuine like feels like a good solid cowboy kind of relationship and the ending where they're gone off to Bixby it's kind of interesting like test audiences in the original ending of the film it ends with the two guys being like all right well I guess we're finally going to get on a dodge and the audiences felt like it was missing something. And so they rewrote the ending of the film to include the kiss with Rhonda to, you know, kind of close the loop on that, which having only seen it that way, you know, it felt satisfying, but it would have been, I think, kind of a more interesting artsier film to abandon the romance and just, you know, well, have the dudes I don't, right off of the sunset together. I don't know. I like the romance because at the very beginning, Again, he's seeking perfection, right? She's got to be all these things, you know? And in a lot of ways, she's an average woman. And you didn't see a lot of those, especially in movies at this time. She wasn't particularly glamorous or whatever, like his girlfriend in Footloose or, you know, whatever. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, you could believably take her as a seismologist. It wasn't Denise Richards as the nuclear scientist (laughs) in uh, World is Not Enough or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I always think of the the scene in in the X-Files. I don't know if you ever saw the one with the cockroaches. There's this like centerfold. She's literally named Bunny, I think, or Barbie or something like that, that like Mulder is like gaga over her or whatever. And Scully shows up and there's like this incident where the, the they're like cockroaches are overrunning the store and and she's like the entomologist and scully shows up and barbie the entomologist or whatever is like fox told me i should stay here stay in the car and, and scully like takes out her sig sour and cocks it and she's like yes this is no place for an entomologist <laughs> goes, goes in i always think of that scene it's something like that it's like yeah anyway so that's why i liked the romance in this 
I mean, it's the typical Hollywood ending with not the typical Hollywood people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I guess I felt like they didn't need it. I liked that there was that kind of tension between those characters and it sort of explains a bit why the three of them end up together in kind of a Lucan and Leia way. But one of the things I loved about the film actually is the recurring rock, paper, scissor theme between the two friends. And there were just some good solid structural things like but that that they baked in. Earl always chooses rock. And, and Val always chooses scissors, like every time. I'm like, okay, like. I chose paper one time, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Someone can yeah. write in and let us know if we're wrong, but I think Earl always chose rock and Val always chose uh, scissors. Yeah. So we've now done, for Sandworms, we've done um, Beetlejuice and, um, well, I didn't see any animated Sandworms, did we? Um, no, and, and we've also very had, disappointing. <laughs> yeah, in e either of the th animated shows, but we did see the brain bug. So actually, I should just do a tournament at the end of this to see who wins. Mm. But let's just say in the between the ones we've seen so far, which are you liking here in the tournament of sandworms? Mm. So far, graboids, brain bug or uh, Saturn sandworms? I think in terms of most nightmare inducing, I'm gonna have to go with the Saturn sandworms from Beetlejuice. In terms of most thrilling, most convincing sandy worminess, graboids. graboids. And the, the brain bug, I think it's a stretch to call it a sandworm. I think, I think it, we get, we're we're going to technically explore the possibility, but ultimately it is not wormy or sandy enough. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. Rated six and a half stars or something yep, by a 12-year-old. stars by a 12-year-old boy. It's not going to be a change your life kind of film, but it is a good popcorn movie. Absolutely. All right. I want to remind everyone to like and subscribe. Do us a big favor, a really big favor, and tell somebody else about the show. Do whatever it takes to get somebody else to listen to the show. And if you want to reach us, you can email us at gc8podcast at gmail.com. That's letter G, letter C, number eight, podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Eric. This is Johanna signing off.